Thank you. Not only did you come to save and redeem us, but you've given us the precious gift of your word. And so now, Lord, we open our hearts. Lord, we know that you long to speak to each and every one this morning. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Reverend Neil Bernard coming to bring God's Word to us this morning. Neil's part of our church fellowship here. He's regularly preaching all around the place, but he has done this preaching slot for us for over 20 years now. We'll have to work it out sometime. And so could you put your hands together and give Neil a big welcome as he comes to share with us. Always good to be here. I'm a member of this church, by the way, so don't get here too often, but great when I can come back. Uh, About five years ago, I started preaching on a series here through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so you may have remembered some of you or may have heard me preach love, joy, peace, faithfulness, kindness. I've preached here. And this morning is goodness, all right? So today is goodness. From an early age, we're taught what is good. Our parents tell us what's good behaviour and what's bad behaviour get the response, you know, you're a good boy or you're a good girl or that's good or good on you. In school, we get assessment and we're assessed, when I was in primary school, uh, poor, average, good, excellent. And for me to get a good was a great thing. Oh, I've got a good, how good is that? If someone always does what is right, and sometimes perhaps to an annoying amount, we call them a goody two-shoes. And I looked that up. That phrase actually comes from a children's story published in London in 1765, the goody two-shoes. The definition of good is kind-hearted, gracious, moral excellence, generous, good-natured, benevolent in intention. I'm sure you'll find that in life, sometimes it's when things are taken away from us or we're missing things that we realise how good it was. Some things that we just accepted, this is the way it'd be and this is the way it will always be and yet for some various circumstance, it's removed from us and then we reflect back and you think, oh, how good was that? But I don't have it anymore. Last time I preached here, I mentioned that uh, in March, I took in a Nepalese border friend of a friend who's a student from overseas. He'd lost his job, one of two jobs. He was struggling financially, didn't have anywhere to live. And he came to me and he said, Neil, can you help me out in some way? So I thought about it and I said, well, I have a spare room. I said, you can move in if you want for one month, rent free, one month. And I said, this is the deal. You're all learning cookery. You're doing a certificate four in cookery. So you cook me dinner, I'll buy the food, and you can live for rent-free for one month. And I thought, great, how good is that, right? This is going to be fantastic. And I would dream, pheasant under glass, duck orange, maybe even lamb shank, right? I'd be so thankful for a lamb shank. Well, my friend lost his other job. So he's 20 years of age, he's unemployed, and he has no money. If anybody has a 20-year-old unemployed with no money at home, I just say, God bless you, right? I know that experience, God bless you. Well, his course, of course, because of COVID was changed. He wasn't allowed to go into town, into the kitchen there in the commercial cookery class. His course was changed to being online. And the lecturer moved all the theory lessons to the beginning of the year and all the practical lessons were right at the end, right? Which happened in about November, which is when my friend left. So I'm in my study working, he's at my dining room table and he's learning budgeting, staff management. And I'm thinking to myself, this is doing nothing for my dinner tonight, right? Nothing at all. I also discovered that because of his religion, he's Hindu, that he doesn't eat beef. Oh, I thought, oh, I can give up beef for a short time. And then I discovered he could only cook four meals. So over a course of eight months, I've had four meals in rotation. As soon as we finished number four, we started again with number one. So, and I calculated yesterday, I've had in the last eight months, I've had butter chicken 56 times. 
I've had rice with potatoes and navy beans 56 times. I've had sausages with spaghetti pierced through them 56 times. And I've had pasta with a cream sauce 56 times. Uh, what happened to my duckler orange and my pheasant under glass? That's what I'm asking. I'm thinking this is going to be so good. He's a trainee chef, right? My meals are going to be brilliant. Oh, dear. Well, he did move out. The next day, I'm standing at the beef section at Coles and I'm looking at steak. Thinking to myself, Neil, you deserve it. You just deserve it. Go for the most expensive one you can find, right? Just the one piece, that's all right. So I bought it, you know, probably I, maybe $15, $16 for a piece of steak. I went home, I marinated it for six hours. I sat there and my grace or my giving of thanks before the meal was this. I have missed you so, so much, so much. Amen. Oh, you don't miss, miss something or how good it is till it's taken away and then you realise, I missed you, I missed you. I had no other vegetable apart from potatoes for eight months. Now I'm even eating broccoli. It's like, I love broccoli. Oh, how good is that? Oh, I could go on and on. Goodness, goodness. In the New Testament, there are two key words that are translated good. However, Bible dictionaries have trouble defining what goodness is. They say it is such a high and noble aspect of God's character that humans cannot attain it. And even human languages have difficulty describing it. It's goodness which sets God apart from us. For none of us can claim to be so good that we abhor everything that is evil, as God does. God is good. Goodness is part of the essence of God and cannot exist apart from God. It desires only that which is highest and best and it is not satisfied with anything less. The two Old Testament words for goodness are translated or, uh, sorry, are put in the active sense, right? So you can have a passive word, a passive verb, which means that, you know, something's got to be done to you or the active verb means that it's something that is done. And in both of these occasions in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, goodness is never in a static state, but is always a good action. In the Old Testament, the quality found in good in God, sorry, is someone who causes him to deliver his people, someone who blesses his people, someone who stores up future gifts for them. It implies a sense of great delight in the giver in wanting to give, to do good and to give good things. So God is good and God alone is good. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 and 19, you know this story well. A certain ruler came to Jesus and asked the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response to him was, why do you call me good? No one but God is good. So from this, we can determine four things. That goodness, goodness is an attribute of God. And goodness can only come from God. No one is good but God alone. And if Jesus is good, good teacher, then that means that Jesus is God. And if we're to have any goodness in our lives, then we need God in our life. Tozer put it this way. God is kind-hearted, gracious, good-natured and benevolent in intention. God is cordial. He is gracious and his intentions are kind and benevolent. God never thinks any bad thoughts about anybody and he never had any bad thoughts about anybody. He takes total pleasure in the happiness of his people. I like that. God takes total pleasure 
in the happiness of his people. The psalmist says it this way, Psalm 145, verses eight and nine. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. Now you and I, we're mentioned twice in that last verse, twice. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all. That means there's nowhere in the universe that you can go where God's goodness will not be. Every aspect of our lives, every part of our day, we should be reminded of the goodness of God. Every sunrise, every tree, every flower, every animal, every loving relationship, every wave of the ocean, every meal, even the rice and pasta and navy beans (laughs) should be a reminder of God's goodness to us. Every second Saturday, I teach a group of African students theology and they've learned this themselves, right? I haven't needed to teach them at all. But if I stand up in front of the class and I say, God is good all the time, they straight away response in in unison, right? They will say, all the time God is good, right? All the time God is good. So this morning we're gonna be Africans. I want you to put on your best African accent, right? That you can have. And your response will be this, all the time God is good. All the time God is good, okay? God is good all the time. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Some of your African accents are so good, I tell you. Oh, well done. God is swift with sympathy toward us. God doesn't hold grudges. He's not one who, you know, he crosses his arms and thinks, well, should I be good or shall I not be good? He's divinely and positively disposed toward us. He takes holy pleasure in our happiness. God is good. God is not only good, but God is infinitely good. That means that his goodness has no bounds. It has no restrictions. God is good. He's good-natured and infinitely so. And his infinite goodness means that he cannot feel indifferent about anything. You and I, we feel indifferent about some things. I've learned, you know, there's some people and they are so passionate about something. It's, It's like it consumes their whole life. When you talk to them, they quickly bring this topic up or something, some interest that they have, right? That is so consuming for them. But for me, I might be a little bit indifferent to that. I might be thinking, well, that's good for you, right? That's nice for you, but it doesn't really float my boat or get me that excited. Last year, I went to Brazil to the Amazon rainforest and photographed jaguars. Now, some of you are thinking right now, well, why would you want to do that, you know? Isn't it better stay home and do the washing? And, you know, I go, no, well, that's my thing, right? That's what I'd love to do. And there would be some things, right, that you would be so infant, you would be passionate about that I'd be going, well, that's, that's well and good, but, you know, maybe I just want to stay home and do the washing, you know, in those times. But God is not like that. God, God is not uh, indifferent toward things. Uh, a couple of years ago, I spoke at the Atherton Keswick Convention told them how I was into, into photography. And one of the gentlemen, he came up to me after the end of the session, he told me that he is one of the world's leading photographers, he lives in Atherton, right, in fungi, in fungi. And he described for me and he said, Neil, you have to come out with me one day. You must do it. He said, we've got to go in the rain, right? Because fungi's no good if it's dry. We've got to go in the rain. The more rain, the better. And we get down in the mud, you know, with our cameras and we wait till the light on the fungi, right, is at the perfect place and then we'll get the shot. 
right? And as he's talking to me, his, his eyes are lighting up, right? And I'm just imagining myself, you know, Mr. Clean in the mud, <laughs> taking photos in the rain of fungi. Is that exciting? And I'll stay home and do the washing things, right? <laughs> but for him, that's what it was like. But God, God is not indifferent. He either loves something with an unremitting energy or he hates something with consuming fire. All that God creates is good because he is good. It would be difficult for us to comprehend how one person who is so good could do anything that is bad or evil. His goodness demands that everything that God does is good. Everything he creates is good. We know this from Genesis chapter one. For the first five days of creation, God spoke and then he saw. And what did he say? It is good. It is good. Then on the sixth day, when he creates humankind, the apex of creation, God now looks at the world, right? And he goes, that is very good. That's very good. This is goodness, vehemently good, good with vengeance, the very best, no room for, for improvement, A plus gold star. This is very good. The psalmist commands you and I to experience God's goodness. Psalm 34 verse nine. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those two words, right, taste and see, they're experiential words. You must experience it. You must taste it. Oh, like that steak, right? Take it into you. Enjoy it as much as you can. See, look at something, a picture of beauty, right? See God's goodness. The psalmist says, that's what you are to do. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? Well, we're not good. The shocking truth is, we may think pretty well of ourselves. Neil, you're not too bad a person. You've got a few faults, I realise that, but, but generally, you're not too bad. But the psalmist says this, Psalm verse 14, verse one, there is no one who does good. Whoa. No one, no one is able to do good. Well, we may behave in an acceptable manner. We can do acceptable things, but actually we cannot do good. Good works are things which are ascribed to God and God alone. This elevates goodness to a level beyond our own capabilities. And since goodness then is unattainable in ourselves, we must look to God for the goodness that we need in our lives. Of course, Christmas is a celebration of God's goodness, isn't it? That God's love demanded that God give us a son. To us, a child is born. That Christ would come and tabernacle, live in our midst, live among us. Christmas says God is good. Jesus on the cross says, God is good. God is good. In your poor and wretched state, God has come to you in Christ. He loves you so, so much. He has not abandoned his creation. He pours out his love and goodness to you and me to save us, to redeem us, to bless us, to bring us into his family. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know as Christians, when we come to experience the goodness of God in our lives, a change occurs within us. Things of our past that we would gravitate to, that we perhaps would even enjoy, no longer have any interest toward us. We don't want to be involved in them anymore. We want to be separate from them. Our speech, words that we spoke, now is changed. Things that we did, 
no longer a part of our lives. We have this craving for holiness, a longing to be pure. We discover that through the Holy Spirit living in us, that that is actually possible. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness. Christ comes into our lives and through the Holy Spirit, goodness now dwells within. Previously, we may have tried to do that which is good, but we end up frustrated at every turn. Though we long to do what is good, our will chooses to do that which is bad. Paul knew this experience, Romans chapter seven. I know that no good thing dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. You been in that situation? I'm sure you have. You want to live a life that's holy, that's pleasing to God, that's accepting toward Him. And guess what? You end up doing the things that you don't want to do. Paul knew that struggle. Naturally, in and of himself, he did not flee the evil that resided within. Left to himself, he was always drawn toward that which is not good. The very thing he was supposed to do, he naturally avoided. And in his frustration, he ends up crying out to God and saying, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? And then he supplies the answer. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. For I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Paul knew he could only be good and do good if Christ lived in him. So the choice is always ours. Moment by moment, we can choose to allow self to reign, evil will be the result, or we can choose for Christ to have his way in us and goodness to be expressed in us and through us. For it is doing good to others, which is an indication that the Holy Spirit is alive in our lives. Our attitude will be wanting to bless others, not harm them. Our actions will be wanting to enrich others' lives, not damage them. Our speech will be affirming and encouraging rather than bitter and critical. Goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, not a fruit of our best intentions, nor a fruit of our best efforts, but the source is the Spirit of Christ living within us. John wrote to Christians, remember this verse, he's writing to Christians and he says in 3 John 11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God, whoever does evil has not seen God. That means with Christ in the believer, you have perfect goodness. Sure, the unbeliever may try to copy goodness, the unbeliever may behave in a manner which is acceptable, but the unbeliever does not have the capacity, according to Scripture, to do good. All they can do is what is acceptable. Now, I'm sure you have friends, as I do, who are not Christians, and you look at them sometimes and you think, you know, you show more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit than some Christians I know. You're such a good moral person and yet you don't believe in Christ. And scripture would say this, morality is not the issue, for morality is relative and temporal. Goodness is absolute and eternal, for goodness only comes from God. James 1.18, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Grant Osborne puts it this way, he says, we are a new creation in Christ, God's own children. The rest of creation must wait for God's plan to unfold. But we have been given spiritual birth and have been welcomed into the kingdom. 
We are to live as first fruits, examples of God's goodness and what he can do in a life. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35, the good person brings good things out of a good treasure and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. Do you have the treasure of Christ living in you? Ephesians 2.10, for we are what he has made, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. That means even before God created the world, he knew of Neil, this short little guy, funny guy, and God had already thought, I have good works for him to do, and he will be able to do them with the Holy Spirit living in his life. The same with you. God has already prepared the good works planned for you of what he wants to do in you. And the last verse, Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not get tired. You know, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I think, you know, oh, Neil, you... You do good and sometimes you don't get much appreciation and the person just, you know, moves on out of your life. And, and you know, I just want to be a bit selfish. I just want to sit here and I want other people to be good to me for a while. You know, I'm not going to be good to anybody else just for a short time. And then you read this verse, let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not get tired of doing it, right? There's always good to be done. Well, my Nepali friend, I became Facebook friends with him, obviously. And of course, on Facebook, you get these little notifications that all his friends, right? Do I want to become friends with his friends? You know, people you may know. And so all these Nepalese people now, right? I've been scrolling through. A couple of weeks ago, just maybe it was the Lord laid on my heart to bless somebody who is in need, right, is in great need, whom I do not know. I've never met in my life. And so I decided this day, this is just a couple of weeks ago, right, as I'm scrolling through these Nepalese people, right, and I just hit one. And I just send him a friend request, you know, will you be my friend? And within an hour or two, he comes back and says yes. So we've been chatting a little bit. I just wanted to know a little bit about him. He's a student in Nepal, right? He doesn't live here. His family's extremely poor. He doesn't have a job. And so I just asked him the question. And I said, brother, because we're all brothers in Nepal, brother, would you be okay if I sent you a little bit of money? I'm a Christian and I want this to be my Christmas gift to you. Well, he came back, right? And he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I am serious. Well, why do you want to do it? You've only known me for one week. And I said, well, I just feel, I just want to bless somebody from overseas, right? He lives life pretty hard at the moment. It's not going to be a great amount of money. It might be great for you, right? But for me, it won't be an absolutely huge amount, but it will help you out. He came back, right? And he said, after an hour or two, I've asked my friends or told my friends of what you want to do, and they've told me that you are a fraud. <laughs> Neil, a fraud? I've never been called that before, huh? I said, I said this, right? Ask your friend, right? The guy who stayed with me for eight months, right? Ask him, am I a fraud? Rent-free for eight months, bought all, him, all his food, took him out many places, right? Ask him. Am I a fraud? Well, obviously he did because he came back and he said, I am very, very grateful. I will accept your gift. Don't grow tired of doing what is good. Don't grow tired. Those times, those moments when you think, you know, look, I've just kind of had enough of being good for a little while, right? Scripture says, don't grow tired. Don't grow tired. There is always someone to whom you can be good. We pray together. Oh Lord, first of all, thank you that Christ lives within us and all your goodness lives within us. 
And Lord, that you can work in and through our lives, not in and of ourselves, Lord, to show goodness toward others, especially, Lord, to those who have life so hard and so tough that we are blessed so that we can bless them, Lord. My prayer, Lord, is that for those that we are able to bless who do not know you, Lord, that they will fall on their knees and they will worship you, having seen your goodness in our lives. Help us, Lord, not to grow tired or weary of doing good, Lord, but every day seek those opportunities, Lord, to bless, to bless, to enrich someone else's life, to show them God, God is good. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Neil, so much for sharing that with us. And that verse, in fact, from Galatians, do not become weary or tired in doing good. It's actually been a key verse for us, particularly over this year, because how it finishes, it, it continues, it says, because in due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And we have sensed God saying to, to us, in fact, for many years now, in fact, that there is a harvest that he longs to bring in. There's a harvest that he is unfolding and that is a harvest of many people coming to faith in him. And so the word for us is to keep reflecting the goodness of God, not to become weary, not to become tired in doing good. And I know there's been so much blessing that has flowed out this year, all the hampers that have gone out this year, all the street work at Streetlight, the op shop, so many expressions of love and right across this body. In fact, many that will never be heard of or known, but I know so many expressions and And our Heavenly Father says to us again, do not grow tired in doing good, in reflecting His goodness. That's what we're doing, isn't it? When we are doing that, we are actually pointing people to our good God and all that He has done for us. And this Christmas appeal this year, again, one more opportunity we have this year just to bless again through the work of Empire to those in our world who are in need. Just as Neil shared that story, we have an opportunity to do that as well. Some of the most needy in our world this Christmas time. I want to encourage you just to be praying about that this week as well, a real practical way to respond to this word today. And we want to respond in worship now because He is a good God. He is so faithful. And I know many here, there's so many testimonies, particularly those who have done more of the journey of life. I know you've got many stories, testimonies to share of God's goodness, even through the trials and challenges. And so we want to stand and worship together. So let's stand in our feet. We're going to sing of the goodness of God and worship Him with all of our hearts this morning, church. Let's not hold back. Let's give Him the glory He deserves in the worship this morning.
Oh, Lord, it's true. You are such a good God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness that you pour out upon us, great God. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, as we move forward, even this Christmas season, not to become weary or tired in doing good, but Lord, we would reflect in increasing measure your goodness that you have shown and demonstrated to us, great God. And so continue to lead us as your people. More we pray, more so that a harvest would come, Lord, is what we're praying for. And we ask this in Jesus' Name. Everybody said... Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. Those joining us online as well. Do not forget, still some space on that Wednesday afternoon Christmas service. You're welcome to come. And a reminder that we're heading out through our side doors as well. If you want to give an offering, you can do that by the containers there as well. God bless. Thanks so much for sharing with us.